Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's just, there's no hope when your quarterback goes down, and that's just the reality of it. Your franchise quarterback goes down for any extended period of time. Your team is more than likely going to lose the majority of the game. More on that topic coming up later, but first of all, welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here playing host. I'm honored once again to be joined by K.D. Drummond, the managing editor of USA Today's Cowboys Wire as we kick off season three of the pod. KD, how you holding up with these Cowboys, though? How you, do, how you doing, man? I got to check in on you. Yeah, I'm doing a lot better than the team is right now. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I can't complain personally, but yeah, when it comes to that product that they put on the field on Sunday night, uh, it was our worst fears from the offseason come to realization. Uh, and then things just got worse as we had to deal with a catastrophic injury for the most important position. So, uh, you know, as they said on, uh, you know, um, Mad Men, not good, Bob. Not good, not good, not good when you lose Dak Prescott. Um, now, initial reports had him out six to eight weeks, KD. Sounds like other reports are suggesting he could be back sooner. I think Jerry Jones said he's not putting Dak on IR, right? So he's leaving open the possibility that he returns within a way more optimistic, probably four-week time frame. Uh, and and I, just sooner the better with Dak, because I don't know how much of this offense I can stomach with Cooper Rush. Like, I just don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it, it could be painful. What's your take on this? You think you think we'll see Dak sooner than later? What are you hearing? Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and do another quote, and we're going to go with Jay-Z on this one, and we don't believe you. You need more people. <laughs> yes. uh, I don't believe Jerry Jones whatsoever. Uh, they always talk about how they'll always uh, err on the side of optimism. Uh, they are hope-generating. Uh, everything that they believe is, you know, put positive verbiage to it and believe it, and it'll come true. And if it doesn't, oh, well, you missed your mark. And I totally believe uh, that the original prognosis of six to eight weeks is what it's going to take for him to come back. I think that they're avoiding putting him on IR simply for the uh, aesthetics of it. Um, they know that going out uh, and signing another quarterback is not going to be the answer. They've been down that road before. Uh, they did that with Matt Castle back in the day when, they, when Tony Romo got hurt, and that was an abject failure. They're not going to go out and do that. Uh, they're not going to trade capital one of these guys that you know fans are clamoring for trading for jimmy g or you know some of the backups that are around the league uh they're not going to do that because it's going to take a while for them to get uh you know integrated into the offense and it's just there's no hope when your quarterback goes down and that's just the reality of it your franchise quarterback goes down for any extended period of time your team is more than likely going to lose the majority of the games the cowboys know that but they also know that based on the performance that they put on the field, that fans are going to lose interest. This was one of the strangest off-seasons the Cowboys have had. People weren't just, uh, you know, thinking that it's going to be a bad, bad season. People stopped caring this past off-season. And that's not something that we've seen with the Cowboys before. They've been disappointing. They've had ups and downs. But people never stopped caring the way they did this off-season. And the Cowboys are 100% aware of that fact. I'm sure that the traffic on their, you know, primary website, on, on the team's website went down this summer. They are keenly aware of the fact that people have lost interest in the team, unlike any point in the last decade plus. 
Uh, so they are going to put out statements such as Dak will be back in, you know, potentially two weeks, uh, maybe three weeks uh, at the most four weeks. And I mean, that might happen. But with the initial reports of what the injury was, I don't see that being the case. I'm not a doctor. I haven't looked at the MRI or the x-ray, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but I would lean towards it being a six-week injury more so than on the four-week or less that they're trying to portray. Uh, the reason that they're not putting him on IR is that simply they just don't think that that 53rd man on the roster or the 54th man that they would be adding to the roster is going to make that much of a difference moving forward. Uh, so that's why they don't need to put him on IR to gain the extra space. I think it's all just roster gymnastics, uh, but he will, in my estimation, miss at least the four weeks and more than likely the six weeks. It's such interesting commentary there and insight because that's interesting. Like, hey, we're not putting him on IR. Stick with us, fans. Stick with us. The season's not over. Yep. You know, it's not all doom. Yep. That's interesting. And, you know, so I wonder where did it start with the just gut-wrenching loss at home to Jimmy G and that 49ers team that the, that the Cowboys should have beat, right? They just, they should have beat that team at home in the playoffs. And I, I'm sure that one stuck with, with fans going into the offseason. And then, you know, the underlying story here is that the leadership thought it was okay to move on from vets in the wide receiver room, right? And on the offensive line. And they've talked a lot about just, wait, we're going to plug in the young guys. We're going to plug in the young guys. We, we believe in our young guys. And, to see the way the team looked in in that first game, obviously a tough opponent, but I mean, have you ever seen, especially on offense, have you ever seen a Dak Prescott-led offense come out with less of a rhythm and just play that piss poor, Katie? Like, it was unbelievable. They had no compete for them. They had nothing for them. So I really think this goes back to the whole offseason, right? That's probably what you're alluding to. Like, they just thought it was okay to say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll just move on from Amari Cooper. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, We'll move on from Lyle Collins. Like we'll we'll make these moves, and now we're we're sitting here, and it's like you lose Connor McGovern, and the you're you're hoping that yep. you can get Jason Peters ready to go maybe for week two, and we, we're starting Tyler Smith at left tackle. He did a good job. I thought he held up fine, but it, it's real rough right now, especially with with the offensive line, and and to see Dak struggle the way he did before he went out um, was troubling as well, right? Just to see the offense play that poorly was uh, alarming. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. I think as, as fans, you always want to look for, you know, the magic bullet, the smoking gun, and find the one thing that you can pin your hat on as saying, this is the reason why things are the way they are. And that's just not the case. There are many things that happened. Uh, obviously, the loss to Jimmy G and the playoffs uh, woke the t- should have woken the team up, should have let them know that what they were doing wasn't good enough. But if you go back and look at, you know, the last several home games that they played against teams that were, uh, you know, competitive. Uh, you're looking at, you know, the Raiders game, the Cardinals game. Um, who did they lose to before that? The Broncos game last year where the offense just looked really inept and out of sorts. There were signs that when they played somebody competitive uh, that they were not doing well. Uh, it was masked by them being the commanders. Uh, or the Washington football team last year, 56 to 14, or, you know, uh, going on the road and stopping the Eagles 51 to 26. I mean, those things maxed them because they weren't playing teams that were really all that good. But the, the bigger issue for me is that the front office seemed to operate from the perspective of everything will be fine. And what I mean by that is their contingency plans aren't built up to where they need to be. So if something goes wrong, 
uh, if Dak Prescott goes down, your contingency plan is, oh, well, you know, we know that backup quarterbacks don't win, so we're going to be fine with Cooper Rush. And, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you look at the offensive line, you, you're comfortable with letting Lyle Collins go because everybody in the organization is tired of him, but you don't go out and sign a guy like Jason Peters in time to be ready for week one because you say, oh, more than likely our offensive line is going to be able to make it through at least a couple weeks before we sustain any injuries. And by that point, we can get somebody up to speed. So I don't think they did a good job of protecting themselves against the inevitable. They also, uh, as you talked about getting rid of Amari Cooper, they looked towards future cap ramifications and said we need to have money available in order to re-sign Trevon Diggs, give C.D. Lamb his new contract, eventually pay Michael Parsons. And the best way to do that is to do what we planned when we signed Amari Cooper to this deal back in 2020 and let him go after two years. But clearly they were kind of counting that they were going to be able to resign Cedric Wilson, who got a really great deal to go to Miami. And therefore, those plans fell flat. Their answer was to bargain shop and get James Washington, who even before he had his injury, wasn't showing much of anything in training camp, which is why I don't care about getting him back. Um, I, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. They planned on Michael Gallup. We, uh, I, I made fun of it when they said it in January, he will be ready by the start of the season. They claimed he would be back by week one before he, he even had the surgery for his torn ACL that he suffered in January. And lo and behold, he's not back. No. And I will be the first to tell you, I don't expect him to be the Michael Gallup that he was for another full season. So it just seems like they didn't make the, the backup plan that they, that are necessary to be considered a team that is going all in to try to win this year. And we can talk about whether that's because, you know, they want uh, Mike McCarthy to prove it. They don't want to invest in anything that Mike McCarthy feels is necessary for him to win because then you're going to be saddled, saddled with long-term contracts that might not fit the next head coach, whether that be, uh, you know, Sean Payton, that's where all the rumors are, Dan Quinn, an outside hire, whatever the case may be. So there are all of these different things that are into play uh, coming into play when you're talking about what went wrong. And I think it just all came to a head on Sunday night. But the biggest reason that they looked so bad on Sunday night was they thought that what happened last year, they could do this year. And what I mean by that is that Prescott, we all remember on hard knocks, suffered a shoulder injury in training camp. And, that, and because of that shoulder injury, he probably could have come back and played in the preseason, but they sat him the entire preseason. And then they came out and they won six of their first seven games and they should have won the game in Tampa Bay. So they thought that you could get by without having your quarterback being in sync and working with his receivers during the preseason. But the issue was you had Amari Cooper, Cedric Wilson, Malik Turner, guys that Prescott had worked with for years. He didn't need the time in preseason to get on the same page as those guys. Like all of these young guys, Noah Brown and Dennis Houston and Jalen Tolbert, who was inactive during the first week of the season, Semi Fajoko. Those guys don't have game experience with Dak Prescott. So, of course, when you go out there and you play one of the top five teams in the NFL and a strong defense that had familiarity with what you did last year, those guys are not going to look good because you never got a chance to work with Dak Prescott in game situations. The coaching staff thought that these joint practices that they had with the Broncos and the Chargers, three of them, were the equivalent of playing in preseason games. And they absolutely are not because they're scripted. You ask the opposing team to play certain coverages to give your guys look. It is not real bullets flying. That really is why things look so bad on Sunday, combined with everything else that I mentioned already.
There it is. Everything that's wrong with the Cowboys right on a silver platter from KD Drummond right there. That's, that's how you do it right there. <laughs> Excellent. We're going to keep talking about this. The, the Cowboys lost some other guys as well. We mentioned McGovern. There's some other injuries. And everyone's saying the Cowboys season is over before it begins. So I'm going to see if KD could find us a glimmer of hope here in the second segment. But first, our friends over at thehuddle.com have our uh, fantasy plays of the week. Stick with us. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. I'm Corbinini of thehuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for week number two. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Starting an Indianapolis quarterback on the road at Jacksonville isn't as comfortable as it may seem. Colts haven't won there since 2014, and something always seems to go wrong. Ryan was a viable streamer in Week 1, throwing for 352 yards and a touchdown on 50 pass attempts. The stat line could have looked much better if two passes weren't dropped in the end zone. While there is some risk associated in starting Ryan, Jacksonville did give up 313 yards and four touchdowns to Carson Wentz last week. Tony Pollard, running back, Dallas Cowboys versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This matchup profiles better for Pollard than it does Ezekiel Elliott if the Bengals can force Dallas into a pass-happy script with Cooper Rush under center. Dallas's offensive line is a mess right now, too, which bodes well for getting Pollard out into space. He is a fairly risky play in most settings, since it's more likely than not Cincinnati will play tight around the line of scrimmage. Expect plenty of checkdown work coming from Cooper Rush's right hand. Wide receiver Julio Jones, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Likely to be without Chris Godwin, Tampa might have to put the ball in the air more than usual against a Saints defense that is tough to run against. Wide receiver Mike Evans has not enjoyed tremendous success through the years, especially against Marshawn Lattimore when he faces the Saints. That could redirect Tom Brady's attention to his peripheral outlets, such as Julio Jones. Jones looked every bit the part of his former self in Week 1 after two years of injuries derailed his career and had many people wondering if there was anything left in the tank. While we don't expect a huge day from him, there's upside for around 15 PPR points. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Gerald Everett at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers will be without Keenan Allen on Thursday night, and Everett came through as a nice streaming play in Week 1, finishing as tight end number 4 in PPR format. Expect a high-scoring game from two talented offenses, and Justin Herbert will put the ball in the air and he seems to have plenty of confidence in Everett. For more award-winning fantasy tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatoday bet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Katie. Connor McGovern, J. Ron Curse, Terrell Basham, Dak, all knocked out in week one. That's on top of other injuries from, you know, the summer or whatever, the training camp. Uh, yep. In... Guys you were counting on, like Terrence Steele, he did not play well on Sunday night. Um, the only player I, that really popped to me that I can think of, the only Cowboy that was, I'm like, man, it was Micah Parsons, right? He was the guy. I thought Ezekiel Elliott played okay, but Micah Parsons was really the only player that I said, man, he he really looked awesome for the Cowboys. The rest of them were like, nah. Uh, so are the Cowboys doomed, right? All the people are saying that the season is now over before it starts. Can you find me a glimmer of hope? Right. As we usher in Cooper Rush here and we'll get to the Bengals here coming up. The Cowboys have the Bengals at home coming up. Not not the greatest spot to have Joe Burrow and that offense coming in. But uh, can you find us something to cling to? The the saving grace for why I would say don't mail in the season yet 
is that the Cowboys have really a, a fortunate schedule in general. Um, but in addition, over this course of games that Prescott is supposed to miss, um, I think everybody feels secure in penciling in a loss against the Bengals. They're coming off a tough game. Um, you know, they lost in overtime to Pittsburgh, a game they had three different chances to win, but they didn't. Uh, despite Joe Burrow having five turnovers, we can talk about that preview in a second. Right. But following that, they play the Giants. And I mean, the Giants have a new coach, Brian uh, DeBall or Dable. Um, Brian DeBalls. And, and he might that's what have they call that. him now. The, the balls after going for two to, that's, in the okay. win. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm going with. So, the, so, the, so they have this Giants team. Uh, they're still quarterback by Daniel Jones at the end of the day. So, I mean, is Daniel Jones that much better than Cooper Rush? Probably not. Um, then they play Washington. Uh, that's an interesting game, which Carson Wentz you're going to see. Uh, you probably will see both Carson Wentz in the same game. Uh, but but that's a winnable contest if, if you know when they play that game. Um, they're probably going to lose to the Rams. Uh, if he's out, you know, for a significant amount of time, like I think he is, they're probably going to lose to the Eagles. Um, but then they get Detroit and Jared Goff and that defense that couldn't stop anything in week one. That's a winnable game for them. Um, so there's three games. Uh, Chicago is on the schedule. They could win that game against Chicago. So that's three or four games that you say, even with, a backup quarterback playing, if my idea of them not being in sync because of a lack of practice and lack of game uh, reps, you could see them potentially coming together and winning two, maybe three, four is a stretch. But if they can win two or three games and be sitting like at two and five, three and five, by the time you get Dak Prescott back, I don't think that the rest of the division is going to run away with them. And then what you're hoping for is just being able to catch fire down the stretch of the season, get the, you know, the third wild card spot or win the East and be, you know, Philly isn't good down the stretch. Cause again, they played Detroit and they look good on offense. They look horrible on defense. So you're just hoping that you can hang on, be within range for that second half run and then hopefully gel throughout the season. Now, granted, Everybody was down based on the offseason. They didn't look good in week one. So everybody's ready to just throw in the towel because all of your priors were confirmed based on how they played in week one. They definitely look like they, they missed Amari Cooper. They missed Lael Collins. Michael Parsons was the only guy that got pressure on Tom Brady. So you missed Randy Gregory. So those kind of things, like I said, the priors were being confirmed. But that doesn't mean that's how it's going to look from here moving forward. Just because we're down in the dumps now, doesn't mean that you can't escape the mud later on. So I would probably say don't throw in the towel. Just hold on and see if you can win a couple of these games while Dak is out. Yeah, that's a good point, and especially if they can win some of those division games, right? Like, yeah, can Cooper Rush outplay Daniel Jones? Sure. He could probably out, uh, outplay Wentz as well, right? Like Cooper Rush. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then so. Justin Fields. I mean, yep. yep. Those, are, those are double games. So you, you just never know. You never know. So one player I wanted to ask you about was Tony Pollard, right? Hyped so much by all the talking heads, especially the fantasy people, that he was going to be more involved, that he was going to get more touches. Uh, and the only thing the Cowboys that really had, Katie, in this game was Zeke, right? Five to six yard Zeke runs. That's all they really had. Uh, Pollard wasn't really a big factor. They tried to get him the ball a little bit. I think they tried some trick plays, right? That were disastrous. What happened there? Tony Pollard was getting hyped up and, uh, Yep. He really wasn't a big factor at all in that game. And, and I was really disappointed that they couldn't get him going in the passing game, especially. It wasn't even that he was an afterthought. That's a bad word for it. Because they, they clearly intended to make him a part of the game. 
But like you said, they used trick plays. They used a double reverse, a wildcat formation. Um, they, they were doing things that just felt unnecessary to get him the ball in advantageous situations. You could just give the ball to him. You can run him out on the route. You can throw a screen. The Cowboys didn't throw any screens during the game. Um, you know, you can flare him out. You can put him in motion. You can play him out of slot. Like all of these options that they had, they didn't do any of them. They decided to go in the trick bag, and Tampa was absolutely ready for it. Um, so I have been one of the staunchest defenders, uh, people that have been listening to the show for a long time, though. I am a Ezekiel Elliott defender. I think that he still has something left to uh, be great in this league, not just, you know, chug along until he retires. I think he still has star talent. Uh, I that The group of people that believe that dwindles year by year, and it reached a fever pitch this year based off of what I feel like is false evidence. When Ezekiel Elliott started the year last year, the first five games of the season, he ran for 5.3 yards to carry, which is what he ran for in this game. Then he hurt his knee last year. And so, yeah, when you get older, injuries are how age shows itself in NFL players. But if healthy, I think Ezekiel Elliott is still capable of doing what Tony Pollard can. That's being the bell cow running back that takes those tough yardages, tough yards, runs up the middle, things of that sort. I absolutely think that he is still great at getting through tackles, uh, real physical tackles, not just a guy touching you and, you know, you get a missed tackle credit, uh, you know, an elusive rating or whatever the case may be. Talk about real tough yardage. Elliott can do that where Pollard can't. Um, but again, the way that Kellen Moore used Pollard in this game, just it didn't make much sense at all. And it really brought into question why he felt he needed to do that when we've seen Pollard excel in normal usage situations. I don't know why he felt he had to do that crazy stuff against Tampa Bay, but that's what he tried. It didn't work and made everything just look even more horrendous than it did in the first place. And hopefully they get their act together and call them the, call them the plays uh, against Cincinnati this coming week. Obviously a disaster in week one, uh, but we got another week. The Cowboys have another home game. They have the Bengals coming to town. We're going to get into that game um, and we're going to get KD's units, right? We always got to get KD's betting units. I don't know if he's putting units on the Cowboys, <laughs> We'll find out. But. Yeah, please add betting units to that. <laughs> yeah, betting, betting units. Betting units, Katie. Uh, our preview for week two is coming up next. All right, the Cowboys have another home game this week, as Katie was saying a little bit earlier. It's against the Bengals, the defending AFC champions. And I don't love it because the Bengals, uh, well, they played horrible against the Steelers, Katie, right? The, Burrow was sacked seven yep. times. He threw four interceptions, and they still should have won. They still should have won, uh, which is crazy. The Bengals did lose that game. I think on a positive note, they couldn't block T.J. Watt, and T.J. Watt pretty much wrecked that game you know, for, for the uh, Bengals. So maybe Micah Parsons could wreck this game. Uh, they really had a hard time. But I don't know. I don't love the spot. I think the Bengals are going to come in here. They're not going to want to go to 0-2. They're going to be salivating at Cooper Rush starting for the Cowboys and all their injuries, and they're going to want to uh, they're going to want to get this one. But what do you think about this matchup right now? Yeah, I, I'm fearful of this matchup. Uh, I will put no betting units on this game because the <laughs> betting only units, yes. person that sees KD's unit is, is KD's wife. Uh, so <laughs> I would definitely say stay away from putting any money on the Cowboys in this one. Look, Cincinnati's going to be mad. They're they uh, you know the Cowboys might be able to pressure. Um, Joe Burrow the same way that the Steelers did. Uh, they do have the, the horses to do that with Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and uh, with, with Basham's injury. I think they're going to get better players on the field. I don't know why Dan Quinn is so in love with Terrell Basham. 
But I think uh, rookie Sam Williams and Dante Fowler are better players or better pass rushers than Basham is. Uh, so I would I would be more inclined to think that his absence is actually going to help the pass rush moving forward. But still, Cincinnati is going to be looking at this as an opportunity. Everybody gets amped up to play the Cowboys and to play the Cowboys when they look in disarray like they do right now. I'm sure that they are just frothing at the possibility yep. of embarrassing the Cowboys on, on TV. Uh, so so I do feel like this is going to be kind of a crazy game. Lyle Collins is going to want revenge. Uh, Chidobe Awuzie is going to want revenge. They have a couple players that are former Cowboys over on that roster. Uh, so I think it's going to be a bloodbath. So the spread on Tipico is seven and a half. The Cowboys are seven and a half point home dogs. We're not getting any KD betting units on the Cowboys in this one. Do you, do you think the Bengals are going to win by more than that, KD? I predicted uh, 32 to 10. So that's how bad I think it's going to be. Okay, bloodbath. Bloodbath. Like I, I, I am, I am, I am, I am not very confident in this one. I don't think it's going to be the end of the season, but I think the bandwagon is going to be empty. Uh, even though I think the Cowboys still have a chance to, to make something out of this season, I think the bandwagon is going to be empty after Sunday afternoon. So that would be zero and two, both games at home. Tough to bounce back from that. Yeah. Tough to bounce back from that. But very, you know, go very, back to that very. second segment we had today. KD offered up some hope. We got to have a season. You know, we got to have a season. We're back for season three of the pod, Katie. We got to have we got to have a season to talk about, man. But it, hey, it's great to be back on the mic with you. Oh, it's it's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, the best thing about it is, if things go completely off the rails, uh, people aren't going to want to miss my rant. So <laughs> exactly, tune in for that. Even if things go downhill, uh, go 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 south fast with this season, uh, it's still going to be very entertaining. So. Yes, yes. So stay for nothing but the KD rants, of course. That's that's what it is. There you go. Um, all right, so for KD, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Hit subscribe and uh, catch us next week. We're going to break down Cowboys Bengals. Hopefully it's not too much of a bloodbath. We'll catch you then. <laughs> this USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.